Welcome to another episode of Eclectic Perspectives. You're here today with Mr. Blue and Aisha Calloway, and today we are going to talk about the blame game. Mr. Blue? Yes, ma'am. What are we going to talk about first? I'm thinking about relationships. Well, first and foremost, yeah, relationships probably um, stems at the top of the list because we can always point the finger at the other person when a relationship fails to live up to its promise. I agree with that 100%. But before we get started, I would like to um, let the audience know, I guess, a bit about us and the blame games that we play with people and in our lives. All right. And I'm going to let you go first with that. Oh, you're such a gentlewoman. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even though I'm a professional in the mental health field, I, I found myself over time, you know, before I got to the level where I'm at now, the level of understanding. Um, playing the blame game. Um, I blame my mother. My mother um, had her own set of mental health issues, and she was, um, it's easy to classify her as being abusive, but I guess that was just being a black, strong black mother from the time that she came from. But um, I guess she relived her abuse that was inflicted upon her when she was a child on me. You know, I guess I was a symptom bearer of the the, um, total system, I guess, because I was a male child, and I guess, you know, I, I had to be put in lines. But her abuse was a, a factor in which the end summary in which, in which I caused the blame would be next. Uh, my father, I think uh, my father, I can't recall my father ever telling me that he loved me. Um, I think I, I think we might have hugged maybe three or four times in our entire lives. I just don't mm-hmm. recall accounts of all this. I mean, we're better now, but, I mean, this is still what it is. Um mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, just, I guess he found it hard to show love, maybe because I was a male child or maybe because the way he was brought up in a very segregated, hard system. And um, so that would be another key point I'll come back to. Um, the church, um, I think the church had a, a big influence on the way how I, I feel like I blame. But when it all says it all ties back into this, um, my marriage lasted about 10 years. Um and I, I love this woman with all my heart, you know what I'm saying? But I, I guess because the abuse that I was inflicted upon me as a child and the, the, the modeling of my father and his interactions with me and his interactions with my mother and the interactions my mom may have had with other males out, outside mm-hmm. of her marriage when the marriage was dissolved, mm-hmm. um, things that I saw in the church, um, you know, mannerisms and dealings with each other. And then Willie Lynch itself, the whole societal norm. I think these, these all things had a big impact on the way I perceived myself in the relationship. Um, at one given at one given point, my my wife stated that you know she needed nurturing, she needed to feel like she was loved or appreciated, and it seemed like I was pretty much like nonchalant and just not not with accommodating. When it was all said, I mean, I, I constantly would tell her, "Well, damn, look at it. My mom abused me. You know, my mom abused me when I was coming up. You know that I find mm-hmm. it hard to have people even touch me." She said, "Well, it's fine. You touch me when you want to have sex or whatever, da da da." And I said, "Well, that's a whole different mind state. But when it's just casual touching, I I I, I sprint from it." Um, and then wow. with my father, just looking at my children. I mean, as much as I love them and try to care for them, I, I can't be. I I found it difficult 
to be the father that, you know, I would want to be. I mean, I, I try my best and I put on the mask that I need to, but inside of me, I just don't know how to be that man. I mean, I think that that also negatively influenced the marriage union. I mean, I, I think I am a great, great father, and definitely a way better father than most, but not the father that I wanted to be, definitely not the mm-hmm. husband I wanted to be, and I would constantly point the finger, my mom, my dad, the things I've seen in the mm-hmm. church, society as a whole. So I, I, I was, I'm definitely guilty of playing the blame game. For myself, I would say um, that, I blame myself for a lot of things that I went through in childhood versus my parents or the church or anything like that. I would blame myself for the reason my parents were arguing or the reason they got divorced. Um, To some extent, as an adult, I think that currently I blame my father for not being a better father by way of me not being able to, um, I guess, enter into relationships that have meaning, per se. I don't know how to um, choose a good partner. And, you know, I know my choices aren't based on materialistic things or anything of that nature, but I, I just feel like if my father was at home more, if my father would have talked to me more, that I would be able to have, you know, relationships with some sort of validity to it. Um, in turn, you know, I have two children, and their fathers are not involved in their lives. So that hurts me to my heart because I feel like if I would have made better choices, if I was able to make better choices, um, that maybe my children wouldn't have to suffer. So I feel like what my father did or didn't do, I missed out on. You know, I, I didn't see what a man was supposed to be to an extent. So, therefore, I made bad choices and have two children that are going to suffer for my choices for my father's choices, and I do know that as a child my father was physically abused, Um, you know, so somehow I guess this all ties in together, but I just feel like I'm missing a portion of something that definitely affects who I am and where I am in life as far as um, an intimate relationship is concerned. Right. But I think that's pretty much where I, um, I, I am with the blame game. And, again, you know, I still look at myself as an adult, and I'm like, well, maybe I should have, look for this or should look for that. But when I break it all down, I really don't know what to look for because I was never taught. So I don't know. I I kind of blame my father for that. And I'm still dealing with that even now. So, I mean, I just, I don't know. It's, It's a hard, something hard to deal with. It's hard looking in the mirror at self. And, um, I think I've arrived at a point or I'm arriving, I'm not quite there yet, at a point where I just have to kind of learn new techniques um, and realize I can talk to other men that I do see as men and get ideas of what a man should or shouldn't do. I can look at myself and ask myself, what do I want? What am I truly looking for? Right. So, you know, I'm trying to um, get off. I'm trying to put those crutches away. I'm trying to throw away my crutches of blame and learn how to take accountability for my own actions and my own choices. And with that, I'm trying to learn how to choose better, if that makes any sense to you. Yes, it does. It does. And that's okay. the thing that people don't understand the impact, or maybe people do understand, the impact that our past plays on our present and our future. And mm-hmm. it's like a subconscious, almost like an undercurrent, you know, that, so that we're doing what we're doing because of what we've seen or what we were affected by. But just coming into that knowledge, we can open our eyes 
and make better decisions. Okay, I knew I was abused. I thought I was going to find difficulty in being in a healthy relationship or being a nurturing father. So what can, what can I do now knowing that to overcome that? That means I have mm-hmm. to work harder. I have to make more conscious efforts to do the things I need to do versus just falling into the trap of letting my past control my present and future. I can agree with that. Um, I think that it's easier for us to blame someone else. I think it's easy to say, you know, I made these decisions because I didn't know. And that may be the case, but I think once we make that mistake once, maybe twice, we need to start looking at different avenues versus, um, you know, continuing to make actions based upon what what we're blaming or who we're blaming. Right. And until we do that, we'll continue to blame somebody else. At some point, we have to take responsibility and, you know, look at self and say, you know, how can I change this? How can I make it better? And we may not fix it, but we can improve it. And I think improvement is what we need to do. And, you know, just whether it's parenting, whether it's relationship, you know, you spoke earlier about not being affectionate with your wife, mm-hmm. which led to your divorce. I, I think that if you were then where you are now as a man, you may have been able to somewhat push past the touching and the feeling and the cuddling. But, again, you know, we, we learn through trial and error. So, and, and it's sad because people get hurt in that process. But that's how we learn. We learn through trial and error. And I really just think that we have to start with self. And we talked about this actually in our first show um, just looking at self, mm-hmm. and until we can do that, and it's hard because sometimes we don't know how to look at self, you know, but until we are able to do that, we will continue to make the same mistakes. We will continue to blame mom, dad, church, children. You know, we'll continue to blame people for where we are in life or who we are in life, and it just comes to a point where we have to say, you know what, this is not acceptable for me. And I have to change it. I think we have to look at what we want, whether it's our marriage, whether it's a job, whether it's our parenting, being a better parent, you know, and, and ask ourselves now, what do I need to do to make this work? And once we figure out what we need to do, we need to ask ourselves, what are we willing to do to make this work? And I think if we start doing that a little bit more, then we won't have as many issues. like that, and I think you're right. Matter of fact, I know that to be true. I mean, what, what could be more truthful than that? I mean, we look at ourselves, and it's really just standing in the mirror and be like, okay, these are the things that are causing me to not feel, you know what I'm saying, as, as, mm-hmm. pretty, mm-hmm. as beautiful, as handsome as I want to be, you know what I'm saying, it's the scars, you know what I'm saying, of abuse, the scars of interactions. Um, we just call it baggage. I mean, it's just about just throwing out the baggage and looking forward and making changes, and you just have to be, it's just, it's a harder, it's harder for those that's been affected by negativity to move it towards is. positivity, especially if it's a, a, a trump card of many, many episodes and many, many barricades, but anything worth trying for is worth working towards, and once you work towards it, the end benefit is that much greater. I agree. Well, we have a caller online, and for all the other callers that are listening, um, if you would like to make a comment, please call in. Follow the prompt, and we will glad we will gladly have you on our show. But currently, we have caller number sixty-two, and I'm going to activate that caller right now. A lot of scientific studies have shown that chronic criticism, criticism over and over again, 
is the number one thing that erodes intimacy in close relationships. So there's a specific way we recommend uh, eliminating blame and criticism in a close relationship, and it's something that we really wish everybody in the world could learn, because it would have a huge impact not only on love relationships, but also on parent-child relationships and politics and pretty much any other sphere of life. People wonder how come, even though they know that criticism and blame erodes their relationship, why do people keep doing it? And one of the big reasons is that Anytime you blame either yourself or your partner or the world, you get a rush of adrenaline. And adrenaline is incredibly addictive. Here's what we call the wonder move. It's the way to eliminate chronic criticism and blame. What you do is you catch yourself in the midst of a moment of blaming someone or somebody, and instead of blaming them, you bring it back to yourself, but not critically, but with wonder. So for example, let's say I was criticizing Katie about being late. She said she'd be back at 7.30 and instead she got back at 8.30. So let's say I'm in the midst of criticizing her. Why were you late? You said you were going to be home at 7.30 and now you didn't get home till 8.30. So notice when blame almost always involves this finger pointing either at the other person or at yourself if you're blaming yourself or at the world. So we're not suggesting that you never are going to blame, but when you catch yourself, that's when you make the wonder move. And the wonder move looks like that. You catch yourself blaming, and then you go, hmm, hmm. what is it about me that requires that behavior? Hmm, what is it about me that required you to show up late? Hmm, what can I learn from this? So you can just really just cut to the chase and go, Hmm. And when you say, hmm, that actually shifts you from your critical brain to your wonder brain. It's very effective. All right, well. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> I kind of like that idea of hmm because Based on the last caller, I think that so many of us um, in our relationships, we do engage in finger pointing, mm -hmm. and it's so easy to do. Um, I'm definitely, definitely, definitely guilty of right. that one. Um, right. It's just so much easier for me to say, well, I did so-and-so because you did this, when the actual issue shouldn't be based on what he or she did, but based on, okay, this is what happened and how do we fix it. Right. But I right. think we get so heated. And like the callers were saying, a lot of us don't take that hmm moment to just kind of collect our thoughts. We work based on emotion versus right. being based on, you know, on fact. You know, fact is this is an issue. Now how do we fix it? We don't right. realize by um, pointing fingers and blaming and name calling and so on and so forth that all we're doing is, you know, increasing the damage to whatever was just done that we're trying to fix. Right. So... I don't know. I just, I think that, that, hmm, if it's a few times that allows it took just one second to stop and think and not react off of my emotion, I don't know. Maybe I was still be in one of those relationships. I don't know. Um, but my mouth has not been right because I haven't initiated the hmm factor, per se, to take the time just to sit back for a second, two, three seconds, to think about what I'm about to say. 
when somebody comes to me, it's just so much easier to say, you know what, I did that because you did this or because you didn't do this. And I need to get out of that habit. I'm pretty sure most of our listeners probably need to get out of that habit as well. But I can understand why some would not even be able to get to that hmm point. And hmm uh-huh. point is a point of enlightenment of, wow, how can I positively affect the way this turns out? But, like you said, we're based on emotion. Of course, we're emotion. We're heated up. And pride, a very evil thing, I must admit, plays a factor. Oh, I don't want them to think they have the upper hand. Let me, you know what I'm saying, become more vocalized or prove my point or if I succumb by taking a moment to think and try to find the positivity and reevaluating how I stand in the situation. I mean, in a way, that's almost like I'm succumbing to the other person in some people's minds. I can see why the hmm point would be very difficult to get to. In fact, I'll be honest, I can't call any time I've got to a hmm point in a situation, especially an argument or a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if we allow ourselves to do that and take pride out of the equation because in a positive relationship, you have two winners. There's no one, no one loses. So why can't, we, why can't we be a catalyst to introduce that positivity so we both come out as winners being in a positive, loving relationship and absorbing the point of negativity which um, somehow introduces itself into the situation? I agree with that. I just think, again, um, before a lot of us even enter into relationships, we, again, need to sit back and investigate ourselves and ask ourselves, you know, some vital questions, things like, you know, how do I handle things when I get angry? How do I resolve conflict? You know, and if you know you're not a person that's able to initiate that hmm factor or whatever it is, counting the three, that break then maybe you're not ready for a relationship. And I mean, not in a bad way, but, you know, unless we're already whole, it's going to be hard to be able to manipulate those hard times in a relationship. And, I mean, if you think about it, you don't have to worry about the fun times, the sex, watching movies, um, you know, spending time with the family for the most part. That That's the easy part of the relationship. So the part that we do need to question ourselves about and look at ourselves about is the negative things, you know, finance, finances, um, again, you know, how do we handle arguments. And I think a lot, if we just look at self first, we could prevent so many other things because we don't realize. And I understand in some situations it's going to be hard to apply the hmm factor. Um, right. Give me one second. We have a caller, caller number 87. If you would like to, please go ahead. Thanks for calling the show. Um, yes, I was just listening to what you're saying about um, being whole in a relationship, uh, with there being less blame if you're a whole person. But most of us enter a relationship looking for someone to complete us. And I think that's where a whole lot of blame can come in because someone didn't do what we thought they should do to make us happy, mm-hmm. uh, what we, you know, what we were expecting. But, you know, people aren't mind readers. They won't know if you don't tell them, but still we blame them when they don't come through. I'm sorry, Carla, we didn't get your name. Could you please tell the listening audience your name? Hi, this is Joanne from Charleston. Hey, Joanne. I agree with you 100%, Joanne. And that was a point I was um, trying to make is that if we're not already whole going into a relationship, we look for that person to complete us, and that is problematic. And, again, that comes back to what I said earlier. We need to figure out what is that we need, what is it that we want. And I think it's okay not to be 
maybe 100% whole, maybe we're at 90%. But I think it's okay also to communicate with your partner and say, hey, you know, I need whatever it is that you need. Maybe it's hugging and touching. I, I want that, but I don't know how to initiate it. Or I need that, but I'm a little uncomfortable with it, but I want to do it. I think a lot of that comes to communication. I don't expect anybody to be at 100%, but I think if you're at like 50, 60, 70, you know, I mean, you might need to wait a little bit and, and work on self first. Mm-hmm. Well, I totally agree with that, and that's why I just wanted to uh, chime in at that time because I totally agree with the way you were going with that. Well, I hope that more women are listening uh, because I think it's, it's really crucial, and I hate to point fingers, I'm blaming again, but, you know, women are famous. <laughs> we're notorious for, um, you know, looking to men for everything. I mean, finances, for love, because we don't know what it is. And I'm guilty of it, and that's what I'm saying. You know, I'm in a process still of teaching myself what love is. You know, I'm at a point where I take myself to the movies. I take myself to fine restaurants. I take myself for manis and petties. I don't wait for a man to say, well, hey, let's do A, B, C, D, and E. And um, I'm becoming more comfortable with self. I feel happy that I can do for me what maybe last year I expected a man to do. And there are little things that I'm happy with. And I think it will make my next relationship a whole lot easier, a whole lot smoother now that, you know, I have uncovered what it is that I've been, quote, unquote, fighting. And, again, I said earlier that my dad was not really there. He was kind of in and out. He had some other issues going on. He was on drugs, um, cheated on my mom several times. There was a lot of issues. So I know that's not correct behavior. But, again, I don't know what a man is. I don't know what sign to look for, what signs I need to run from. But if I'm already happy with self, I think that certain signs that he presents, I'll know it's not okay. I don't have to experience it because I'm already in love with me, if that makes any sense to you. Yes, I am so there with you. It's like, yes, you know exactly where I'm coming from. Uh, Having been in a long, long marriage myself and just recently divorced just a few years, I'm discovering who I am. And I decided I like me, and no one will treat me the way I want to be treated unless I treat myself that way. That's right. I mean, if I don't treat myself like the princess I am, then I certainly, you know, don't expect the man to step up. (laughs) All right. So bow down, man, bow down. You know, princess in the house. Hey, I agree with you. I just hope that, you know, wherever you work at, wherever you go, you know, teach this to other women because that is a big, big, big issue with the blame game. I hear so many women, well, it didn't work out because he did A, B, C, D, and E. And I'm like, well, were there signs, were there not? You know, and again, I have to ask myself these questions too, but there are so many signs. But like you said, we don't know how to love ourselves. So we look for this fulfillment from men, and we don't even know what that fulfillment is, to be honest. I mean, he might be taking you out to eat and get your hair and nails done or whatever else you require. But because we don't love ourselves, we will never be filled regardless of what that man is or is not doing. You're preaching to the choir, girl. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Blue, you kind of quiet, brother. What you thinking? Oh, you know, I'm all about admiring girls. Talk to what you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joanne, we thank you so, so much for calling in, and we appreciate you listening to the show. And it's been fun. Well, good. Again, we thank you so much. And continue listening and spreading the word. 
and just uplifting uplifting people wherever you go, especially females, because this is a very, very serious topic, honestly. I mean, I know it's a little bit off topic, but there are so many women that are taking their lives behind things. They're getting depressed. They're on so many medications. And because they're missing that love, and I know, Blue, you know, you're a counselor, you're a therapist, so I'm pretty sure you encounter these types of things all the time. And when you dig down deep, if we can just learn to love self, we would not be on all these medications. Right. We wouldn't need to call Mr. Blue to sit on his couch, you right. know. So this is this is really a serious topic. It really, really is. So I'm sorry to take it off subject. Y'all forgive me. No, you good. You good. And, you know, you made some excellent points, points in the conversation. And I'd like to encourage people to go to your local library or Barnes & Nobles and um, pick up the book, The Five Love Languages. I'm um, not in my office or my studio right now, so I don't have access to the author. But the five, there you go. The five love <laughs> by the person she just named <laughs> is an excellent resource to learning about love and the type of love you desire, and learning about the type of love your mate may desire, and that helps you in that relationship feed off of one another and nurture each other and be supportive of one another. Like, for instance, I'm uh, the type of love I need is, is by bear, those bearing gifts on me, while the type of love my wife may have needed would have been um, affirmation. So, I mean, mm-hmm. so our, and it's like I, I recently told someone was physical touch. Um, so, I mean, just understanding where they're at, that's how you help that person understand that where you stand in a relationship, I love you. I'm showing you I love you by, you know, basically allowing myself with your whatever your five love language happens to be. Miss Joanne, have you ever heard of that book before? No, I haven't, but I'm definitely going to check it out. All right. Well, it's really a good book. And for all of our listeners, again, the author is Gary Chapman. And, um, Blue, I'm not sure if you know or not, but he actually has a book for men, a book for women, and I think it's a book for children or either teenagers. So it's it's a really good read. Um, in my practice, I use the one for children, That's the only, and I have one for, I guess, general, like couples or whatever. Um, I yeah. do plan on um, obtaining the rest of those books, and I encourage everyone to, if you don't want to purchase it, at least go to your library and check it out. I agree. I agree. Well, the next thing I want to discuss, um, and we're still talking about the blame game, and, Ms. Joanne, I'm going to keep you on if you don't mind, Blue, if that's okay with you, until we have another caller that raises their hand. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is the blame game when we think about schools and um, children with ADD, ADHD, you know, things of that nature. I just, it's just so, so, so crazy that, you know, a lot of times these children that have these quote-unquote disabilities um, you know, the school will call you, you need to come pick Johnny up because Johnny is acting out and, you know, or, or he didn't take his medicine, things like that. I just think that it's so much to be talked about with children that have these, quote, unquote, diseases, if you want to name them that, or these disorders. And I just want to know, Mr. Blue, what do you think about that? What do you think about the blame game with teachers, you know, saying, I mean, why should it be so easy for you to just call me and pick my child up? because he's acting out. I mean, if he's cursing you out and hitting on you, that's one thing, but I don't know. This ADAD, ADD and ADHD blame thing is just, it's really about to drive me bonkers. Well, one, uh, the, the diagnosis is well, well overdiagnosed. I mean, a lot of the issues as far as in between parents, maybe not quite knowing what they need to be doing, teachers uh-huh. not knowing how to deal with certain populations or doing what they need to be doing. I mean, I was okay. a school teacher for two years. 
And I remember okay. just the courses that teachers had to take in order to become teachers. They're not preparing them to deal with certain behaviors. And society knows what it is as it continues to go in the direction it goes in. They're going to be less prepared to teach these populations, especially with budget cuts. And I'm blaming people. <laughs> budget cuts <laughs> and um, overpopulation over, um, in classrooms. It's going to become more yeah. difficult and harder. The burnout rate will increase. But when um, we have a caller on um, one of the lines in which he can um, give you a better, um, from his viewpoint, and you can activate that caller, please. Okay, give me one second. I'm locating the caller right now. Mm-hmm. I'll be calling 93. Okay, Mr. Blue, I'm not seeing a caller 93 on the call list. Mm-hmm. Let me look through it one more time. Y'all, please bear with me. I'm sorry. Mr. Blue is not on his job today. He normally operates the switchboard, <laughs> but he's on the road, so I'm having to learn how to do this, so please bear with me. Mm-hmm. Caller, go ahead, please. A real big problem I see with parents and kids these days is playing the blame game. Don't play the blame game. The school will try to suck you into the blame game or the psychologist or your, or your, your parents, the uncles, the aunts, and they're all going to look to point fingers. When something goes wrong or somebody says, your child has ADHD, the blame game begins and the school, your child won't sit still and doesn't do the homework. And, and there's all kinds of, even if they don't say it directly to you, you feel it. I know. I've been a parent. I've been, I've been a teacher for 15 years, a behavior specialist. I had hyperactivity, and I've been a parent sitting in that room. I've been in the parent seat in that room. You know that room where all the adults are around, and there's teachers, psychologists, principals, and the underlying thought from all of them is that it's my fault. I'm the parent. It's the parent's fault. It's the parent's fault. So when the blame game starts, expect it. Expect there to be some narrow-minded people who are going to blame you for what's going on with your child. Now let me ask you, how is them blaming you? How is them when they blame me for my child's activities, my child's lack of doing the things the way everyone else did? That never solved the problem. What did solve the problem is me being creative. What did solve the problem is me deciding I am not going to participate in the blame game. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to focus on taking care of my child, loving my child, and looking at creative ways to make school work for my kid. Just because my kids can't sit still and listen the whole day long, maybe the teacher's boring. I'm a teacher. I've seen a lot of boring teachers before. Maybe what's being taught, my child mastered it a year or two ago. That's happened too. So stay out of the blame game. If you do that, that's one of the most important things you can do to keep your mind free to look for creative ideas and to keep the love in your heart strong for your child so you have that energy and emotion for your child. Go for a walk. Go for a hike. Shoot some hoops. To forget about uh-huh. school sometimes. You just need to put it on a shelf and look at uh-huh. your kid and accept them the way he is. Okay, we'll talk more, but avoid the blame game. I'm Tom Daly. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Yeah, thank you for calling. Um, wow, that was kind of deep. <laughs> yeah, and, re- and, re- and basic what we need to do and what, especially as, you know, our students, our children are in these school systems, they always want to point the finger, especially African-American children, because they don't understand the way they learn or how they learn and not willing to change the curriculum or change the way they teach in regards to that. If I'm not mistaken, Ms. Uh-huh. Porter's still online, and she um, can give you more insight into that because she's a behavior specialist. Ms. Porter? Yes. 
Um, I work with kids, and quite a few of them are ADHD, and you do have to teach them differently. But uh, fortunately, uh, in, in quite a few of the schools here in Charleston County, they do have interventionists, and they will teach things a little bit differently if it's necessary. And with a lot of ADHD kids, you have to be interactive. They can't sit in a chair. But teachers are learning now that they need to give their kids a space where they can have their own space to move, to jump, to stretch, or do whatever they need to do when they need to do it, as long as it doesn't disrupt the class. And as far as blaming, uh, we don't necessarily blame the parent when they come for that meeting, as um, the other caller had said. Uh, when you come to a meeting of that type, we offer ideas. We ask the parents, well, what do you do at home? You know, what can we do here for your child? So it's a two-way street. Okay, we have another caller. Ms. Joey, I want you to stay online, but I'm going to activate the next caller. Caller number 15, are you with us? Hello? Caller number 15. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you please tell the listening audience your name? Um, my name's Ashley, and um, I'm calling from Charleston, South and I'd like to speak on behalf of the parents who do find themselves in the situations where they are the ones being um, blamed for their children's um, ADHD or other like learning disorders. Um, sometimes um, parents don't know like how the school system works about IEPs and 504 plans and things like that, so they're not armed with the tools that they need. Um, so they feel intimidated coming into those meetings and sometimes they aren't given all of the information. It's not explained to them. And in that way, they feel um, like their child is being labeled because they don't know anything about ADHD or whatever, so they shut down. So they be blame the school and they say things like, well, my child doesn't act this way at home or things like that. And maybe they don't believe the, the teachers or whomever when they say the child is being disruptive, and, and that plays into the blame game as well you know, lack of information, lack of education about um, learning disorders and things like that. So, Ms. Ashley, you're speaking on that. Um, I do have a question for you. I know that I have encountered a lot of children that, in that same exact situation where a parent will say, my child doesn't do that, my child doesn't behave that way, so on and so forth. But yet, as an educator or um, the child's advocate, I've seen the child at school behaving this way. The teacher's seen the child at school behaving this way. So what do you suggest to the listening public? What do people do? I mean, I mean, some children aren't as bold as to tell you, I'm doing this because I have ADHD. It's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword because, like I said, parents shut down when you say my their child has ADHD because that's like saying they got some disorder that's going to hinder them for the rest of their life. Or they just see their child, this is Johnny, that's how he acts. They've learned to live with it mm. because a lot of kids have symptoms and signs of ADHD and stuff like that before they hit school. So the parent has mm. learned to adjust themselves to that behavior, and they already have a system in place that works, but they fail to realize that they've been dealing with Johnny for the last seven, eight years. They know Johnny. They know his moves. They know when he's going to behave this way. This teacher has seen Johnny for the last three months, and that's all she knows about him. She doesn't know what you know. She can't do 
the things at home that you can do. She can't do that at school. She got 20 other kids in the classroom that she's got to deal with, whereas this parent might just have them, you know. And so she's not going to, the parent is not going to see it as, oh, my child is a problem. What are the teacher, what is the teacher not doing to address this, you know. And as far as the child is concerned, you know, when they're of a certain age, they're old enough to be sat down and say, you know, you have to take ownership for your behavior as well. You know, that's another part of the blame, too. People think mm-hmm. that their kids are not old enough to handle things and that they don't know how to deal with things. A three-year-old, you can explain something to them on their level. Any child is capable of understanding it in their own way. And what they don't understand, that's what you make up for. But if they bold enough to tell you they got ADHD, they bold <laughs> enough to deal with it. I agree with that. Um, I would like to say my son does not have ADHD, but he has ADD, so they say. And um, basically he had a really hard time paying attention in class. And I took him to the pediatrician and gave me some documents. I filled one out. The teacher filled one out, took it back, and they um, prescribed Concerta. He took it for about three months. And he came and he said, Mommy, I can't take this. It makes me feel funny. And I said, funny? What do you mean funny? He's like, I don't know, I just feel different. So we stopped taking it. And what I ended up doing was just looking up other alternatives, um, like being more consistent with him. When I would give him instructions, I would have him repeat it back to me. I help him to write little notes and stick them on his binders on the front door. And honestly, this has worked for him since the second grade, and now he's going to the fifth. So that worked better than the three months he was on the medication. So I just think, too, and you I, know, it's not all about medicine. We can try different alternatives by being consistent, but I think that's where the issue would be from school to home. Um, most parents, like you said, are accustomed to their child's behavior. So they may not be consistent. It's like as long as little Johnny is not burning the house down or causing harm to himself, he's fine. Just let him go in the room and run and tear up and up and down the stairs, and that's fine. But in school, and he can do that at home. So I agree, but because we know our child may have ADD or ADHD, we may have to even limit that at home because he may not understand at home I can run rampant and at school I need to try my best to sit still. And So we make it kind of concise across the board with, Johnny, you can run, but you're going to run outside. You're not going to run in the building, in our house. Then maybe Johnny won't run in the classroom at school. So I just think that it's not all about medication. And I think that sometimes the parents can be to blame. Um, I could have took the easy way out and just said, no, honey, you're going to have to continue to take this medication. But I didn't do that. I just I had to change me, change my parenting style, and I had to speak with the teachers. What do y'all do in class? You know, so I could learn, okay, he's going to have to sit down for like 20 minutes without doing anything. You know, so I just, we can we can do different things. We really can. Miss Joanne, what's your thought on that? Well, I agree with you uh, and the other caller uh, because I'm in the school on a day-to-day basis and I see the kids who honestly cannot sit down. And the parents, some parents are in denial. And, you know, I try to reassure them when they come to a meeting, there is nothing wrong with you or your child. They learn differently. If your child had a toothache, you take him to the dentist. Okay, he has this disorder. Let's do something to take care of it. We've had some parents who come and said they can't give their children medicine because of religious reasons. My take on that, 
pray about it. God gave the doctors knowledge. Use it. If your child needs it, give them what they need. And I, I agree. I, I applaud you for your uh, approach. You know, you got to work with your child individually. And a lot of parents would rather just give them a pill and forget it rather than change what they have to do and bring something to the table as well. I agree. I agree. Thank you, Ms. Porter, Ms. Ashland, for your perspectives on this particular topic. I'd like to move on to the next topic of discussion as far as the blame game. Um, I noticed that in this system, this world we find ourselves in, there's a lot, a lot of people that are using government benefits such as um, food stamps or welfare benefits. And I'd just like to talk a little bit about that. Um, it's a cultural norm in many aspects. It's almost a generational curse. Um, I find that a lot of my clientele, families that I work with, are third or fifth generation people that's on this system. There's almost a mind state that's in, embedded in them. They want to blame the system for keeping them where they're at, but allow themselves to stay in the system because the way the system is designed, it's almost designed to keep them trapped. For instance, um, I know a woman has a four-year degree, and she's on um, subsidized housing. Well, she doesn't want to upgrade to a higher-paying job because she doesn't want to lose the $800 she gets in benefits in order to stay in the home that she stays in. She doesn't want to lose the... Um, the daycare allow, allotment that she gets, which are pay, which paying for the three of her kids, easily $120 apiece, $360 a week. So with that, I mean, they're blaming society for keeping them trapped, but then they're not allowing themselves to outgrow the trap, even though there's opportunities that may be available to them for them to outgrow it. It's a very tricky and very interesting system. I understand it, but I think it's also deplorable, the dependent system that's in a way crippling you. I agree with you. Um, I think, too, it varies from state to state. Mm-hmm. I know that, like, in New York, they have a system set up. They don't just, you know, snatch all your benefits from you once you start making, I guess, what they call a decent amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, here in South Carolina, I have been on food stamps for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. And I know when I started working at the um, homeless shelter here, and turned my income in and everything, it was like, oh, you're over the um, bracket, you know, the income bracket, and they just literally cut everything off immediately. So it's like, what do I do? Do I go back to a lower-paying job? I mean, it's like there's no transition time between the two, because I think you have like 10 days, if I'm not mistaken, to turn in your um, new income. Whereas, like in New York, they pretty much wean you off the program. They don't take everything immediately. Right. Um, they may take the first month 25%, the second month 50%, the third month 75 and, you know, the fourth month is kind of either you're going to get a little small portion of food stamps or you're going to get nothing, but it gives you an opportunity to kind of, you know, gear yourself towards, okay, I need a budget, I need to start buying food like this, so I can pack my deep freezer or whatever it is. But when they just yank it from you, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. you don't get a chance to get your footing. Right. So I, I, under, I don't agree with continuing to stay on the system, but I do understand it. You know, right. I just happened to be blessed enough where I had another opportunity come around where I was able to get a, a much better paying job so it didn't matter about the food things at all. But at the homeless shelter, I mean, 
even though I had no food stamps, I was still, you know, like, let me see what, what church I could call this month to get a little bit of groceries or, you know, make it sure. I mean, I was like, I couldn't go anywhere but from work to home because I knew I had just enough money to buy some chicken and afford no steak and no shrimp, you know, and, and make it work. So it's it's super hard. I know for sure here in South Carolina, there is no safety net. There is no help. They're like, before you get your first check, your benefits are gone. Right. So, I mean, it, it's really, it's it's hard. It's, ooh, I don't know. But in blaming society, I mean, I agree with totally what you're saying. Uh, I think it's very, very unique system that we find ourselves in. But in blaming society, I think that when it's all said and done, the people that make the decisions, that have the power over us, in regards to these issues are the people that we allow to be in office either through voting or not mm-hmm. voting. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. not enough of us are voting for change to help us and benefit I us agree. in the long run. Oh, I don't think I... my one vote will count. Okay, yours, your one vote may not count. Get a, your family together and, and um, embark on adventures to get more people um the ability to vote, and you see how much change that can um, that yield. I mean, I've known elections to win by only a few voters. I mean, I've known this. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen this. I mean, so I'm, I know this to be a fact. But you know, we just allow the system to do what it will because we fail to make actions or do what we need to do. Well, then we must always, once again, put the finger at ourselves and blame ourselves. We can't blame the system because we are creating the system by not moving to change the system. Well, even with that being said, you know, I agree with everything you just said, but even on another aspect of that, I just think that my, for me personally, I knew I wanted to be a homeowner one day. I knew I didn't want to continually have to send in recertifications for food stamps. And mm-hmm. I mean, they just want so much. My thing is if you're on the system, use the system. I mean, go back to school, get your education so you can get a better job. So when they do cut you off, you're good. You know, I just, again, you know, you have to look at the situation and say, hey, I, I can't afford to take this job to pay $9 an hour because they're going to cut me off. Well, that's fine. Stay at McDonald's or wherever you may be working at, but go back to school. You know, make it work for you. Open up a business. Do something. So when they do snatch you off the system, you have some sort of foundation. So I, I agree with you. You know, we do need to vote. We do need to definitely take more control of our lives, but everybody needs to sit back and look at self and say, how do I take more control? How can I change the system? And I realize that college is not for everybody, but, again, go to hair school. Open up your own salon. I mean, just last week we had a show on with several entrepreneurs. So open up a lawn company. I mean, there's several different things that you can do. I mean, you got to work with what you, what you have. And if what you have is South Carolina, then, hey, make it work in your benefit. You know, make it work in your benefit. So that's my take on that. Um, We're actually winding down. So, callers, we have about 10 minutes left for the show. So if there's anybody else who would like to call in and comment um, on anything that we've talked about today, it doesn't have to be this particular subject or just any type of blame that you're thinking about, feel free to do so. Um, We do have one special um, guest who wants to kind of sum everything up for us. And um, after talking to him, I mean, he, he's really on point. I just think that no matter what the situation is, whether it's a relationship or um, food stamps, whether it's 
you know, medication, whether it's child rearing, whatever it is, you know, we really do have to try to figure out another way to surpass things without pointing the finger at somebody else. And um, just kind of looking inside self, regardless of what society is saying or doing, and figure out how can we stimulate change. Mr. Boo, you just so quiet today. What's going on? Am I on mute? Because nothing's playing. No, you're not. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, um, activate the caller. All right. Well, let's do that. In Mastering the Seven Decisions, the first decision for personal success that I discuss is the responsible decision. The responsible decision encourages us to say, the buck stops here. From this moment forward, I will accept responsibility for my past. I am responsible for my success. I am where I am today because of decisions I have made. Today, I will begin the process of changing where I am by changing the way I think. The buck stops here. One of the most destructive ways of thinking is when we blame others for our current situation. We blame our parents, the weather, the economy. We blame our spouse. It's amazing to think of who we think of to blame. Where we are today, we tell ourselves, is a consequence of what other people and circumstances have done to us. In blaming other people and events, we weaken our power. As soon as we say, it's not my fault, our chances for any kind of success dramatically decline. If we don't accept responsibility for where we are right now, we have no hope of changing our future. If our problems are someone else's fault, then we are well and truly stuck. What can you do about the weather or your neighbor or your spouse? Nothing. But if you can accept that the solution lies within you, then there's boundless hope because we can start working on ourselves today. Responsibility is not about blame or making someone feel bad about their situation. Responsibility is about hope and control. You can control your future. We had the power to make the choices that led us to a place we don't like, and that's great news. For that means we can also make choices that will lead us to a place that we do like. Outside influences are not responsible for where you are in your life. You have chosen this path by your decisions. The game then becomes simple. Make better choices. The responsible decision is all about owning the power we have. The words, it's not my fault, should never again come from your mouth. If you want to create a pathway to success, you must change your thinking. Realize that you're responsible for where you are and where you are going. If you allow yourselves to blame uncontrollable forces for your lack of success, you'll be forever caught in the past, a victim to your fears and frustrations. You cannot let your history control your destiny. The bad news is that the past was in your hands. But the good news is that the future is also in your hands. Now that you're completely aware of this, you can make the decision to take responsibility and begin living the responsible decision. All right. Well, with that being said, we have a caller. Caller number 87, please go ahead. Uh, yes, right. I Yes, I just wanted to let you guys know I totally enjoyed the show today. It was very enlightening. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Mr. Boo, what would you think about our last caller? I thought that he um, made a point. I mean, he made some good points. And, I, I mean, 
I think that when it's all said and done, once hearing the words and once understanding, everybody can really see that, wow, why am I blaming them for what I'm doing? I mean, I think it's just easy if you really look at yourself, if you really know yourself, put it in perspective that, you know what I'm saying, blame should never be on the other. And you don't even really have to blame yourself, but you can't let someone else's decisions or actions negatively influence you. You just have to get to a point where by doing that, you're actually giving them the power. Now, they may not yield power over you per se, but by mm-hmm. you saying they are the person who did this and that's why I'm doing this, you're giving them power over you. And why would you yield power over to somebody else? That shows a weakness. We must build ourselves to be stronger than not have others negatively influence us in such ways. I agree with you 100% um, that everything has to start with self. Um, before we end, I would like to read a quick scripture. Um, Proverbs 5 and 22 says, His own inequity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. I think that a lot of times when we do blame people for things that we do, things that we say, you know, it does cause us to sin. Um, And we have to realize that, you know, we are owners of our actions, owners of our words, owners of our lives as a whole. There is a um, German proverb that says, Adam must have an Eve to blame for his own fault. And the first time I read that, I was like, wow. You know, to take it back to the beginning, you know, of blame Mm -hmm. is, is interesting. It's real interesting. And, you know, most importantly, For anybody who is listening, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care if it's a bad marriage. I don't care if it's something with your children, with education, whatever, anything. I just ask that you please take a step back from the situation and evaluate yourself. Ask yourself, what do I want and how do I get it? Am I willing to do the things that it takes to obtain what I'm wanting? And I just think that if we do that as a whole, we can – Definitely minimize blame. I don't think that blame will ever end, but we can definitely minimize it. Okay. And with that being said, I'd like to thank you for um, listening to another episode of Eclectic Perspectives. I look forward to um, hearing from you and have you listen next week. Same time, same place. And to all, good night. Thank you. See you guys next week. Yeah, the next show. Yeah, the next show is going to be the color of hair by the, the um, black and white, black on Mexican, white on Mexican. It's all the hate, but even hate in the own black community. I noticed that um, even some interactions in my own family system, because we're a biracial family line, that the light skins get treated a certain way, the darker skins get treated a certain way, even in our own family system where brothers and sisters may be of different colors and different blends. So just the color of hate is a real issue that especially being in the South, that really needs to be um, talked about and discussed. And I look forward to discussing it next Sunday at 6 p.m. on Eclectic Perspectives. See you then. All right. That's what's up. It's going to be a good issue, good episode. Can't wait to finish writing that book about it. You know what I'm saying? Real talk. This policy is valid from January 4th, 2019. This podcast is a personal podcast written and edited by F. Christopher Blue and his conglomerates at morethantherapy.org. For questions about this podcast, please contact staff at morethantherapy.org. The podcast accepts form of cash advertising, sponsorship, paid insertions, or other forms of compensation.
The compensation received may influence the advertising content, topics, or posts made in this podcast. That content, advertising space, or posts may not always be identified as paid or sponsored content. The owners of this podcast is compensated to provide opinion on products, services, websites, and various other topics. Even though the owners of this podcast receives compensation for our post or advertisements, we always give our honest opinions, findings, beliefs, or experiences on those topics or products. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are purely the podcast's own. Any product claim, statistic, quote, or other representation about a product or service should be verified with the manufacturer, provider, or party in question. This podcast does not contain any content which might present a conflict of interest.